Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Not so fast, big voice guy. Jeff Wagner on vacation. Scott Wara sitting in for Jeff for the next several days. It is the beginning of the football season. Even fringe football people are excited about this, right? Right? We'll have some fun in the 2 o'clock hour. We're going to ask for your most memorable Packers-Bears moment. Now, I say most memorable because there are plenty of memories that a lot of us have that aren't necessarily positive ones, okay? And I can think about, uh, I got three, four that were not so good off the top of my head. So we'll have some fun coming up in the 2 o'clock hour by asking you for your most memorable Packers-Bears moment. And that's one of those questions, too, I think, where you don't have to be a diehard football fan to, ah, I remember that, or I remember this one. You don't have to be a... Well, you can be of any age, I should say. You don't have to have been following the rivalry and football for 75 years, or you can just be around for a couple of years, decade maybe, and you can come up with some. So we'll do that after 2 o'clock. As always, you can get involved in the program at 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Email in, if you like, scott.warris. At WTMJ.com, Scott.Warris, W-A-R-R-A-S, at WTMJ.com. You can follow me if you like. Just keep your distance and uh, peel off after nightfall because it gets awkward after that. Kyle produces the big program, and uh, you talk to him, you get through to us at 414-799-1620. So we'll do that after 2 o'clock. Boy, I heard in sports there with uh, Greg Matzik in addition to the football game. So now we have to decide whether we're rooting for America or for Giannis, that's what it's going to come down to. The FIBA World Cup basketball tournament going on. You're going to have USA against Greece on Saturday. Giannis or America? What do we do? We've got a couple of days to think that through. I've got some odds and ends. I, I want to, and we'll do this in a little while. Do you have somebody you would like to see Take over Jim Sensenbrenner's congressional seat. Announced yesterday that uh, he will not be seeking another term. The second most tenured member of the entire United States Congress. And he will be retiring, 76 years old. And there are already, as the Journal Sentinel has this morning, there are already several, I would say high-profile names, several familiar names that may consider a run for that pretty safe GOP seat. And we'll ask you if there is somebody you would like to see run, somebody you would like to see succeed Jim Sensenbrenner. But I saw this article this morning, and this is where we'll start, in the USA Today today, and it involves the topic of fraternities. 
Now, out of the gate, I, I was not a member of a, of, of a frat. We did not have them where I went to school, so that wasn't even a possibility. But I know many people, many of you have. Kyle, were you a fraternity guy? Did you got, did you have fraternities back in the day in your school? Uh, it was more of like a club, I guess. Um, they didn't really have a lot of Greek life culture mm-hmm. to it. It was more of like camaraderie and, and, and community involvement. Okay. So. so not technically a sanctioned fraternity. And they wouldn't live together in a house or anything. It, it wasn't, you know, one concentrated area. Sounds like a, just a group of guys hanging out. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what it is. Well, anyway, the USA Today has a very intriguing article this morning that says, young men have died in fraternities every year for two decades, but frats are slow to change. And as somebody, like I say, who was not a member of a fraternity and regularly see some of the really bad stories that come out of fraternities across the country, deaths, and we'll get into some of the information, some of the the numbers behind it. I, I want to know, from those of you who were a member of a fraternity or a sorority, from that matter, although you don't hear about sororities leading to deaths like you do fraternities based on the pledge system and things like that. But if you were a member of a frat or a sorority, Tell me the value of it, because I really, outside of just being a part of a club, being a part of something cool, if you think it's cool or unique, when you're in school, you you have a built-in network of friends, I, I guess, which is good if you're a freshman and you get admitted. But other than that, what is the value of fraternities here in 2019? Is there still a value to it? Because... And there's somebody here, well, I'll say it, it I've, I've, me and Billstad have debated this before, where Billstad, I think, and I, I can speak for him, is on record as saying it's time to just ban and disband fraternities across the board, period, because of some of these really tragic stories where the pledge dies because of whatever he was required to do to enter the particular fraternity. And I, I've always thought, look, it's... It's select. It's not ubiquitous to all fraternities. There are just some that go overboard, sadly. And it's it's not something whereby everything has to be abolished because of some just wrong decisions and some some poor fraternities. But maybe you think that that's the case. 414-799-1620. I'm asking you right now, sell me on fraternities. Tell me why, Scott, these things are important. They were of value to me. Because I I don't I don't necessarily not that I want to see them abolished, but I I can't quite get the fraternity thing. So I need your help. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty to the article now in USA Today today. As first time students settle in at college campuses each fall, Debbie Smith cannot help but feel dread. In twenty oh five, her son Matthew Carrington started a similar journey at California State University in Chico. He, like many young men, found himself pledging for a fraternity. That was odd, Smith said, because he never really expressed that much interest in Greek life. But his friend wanted to join uh, Chai Tao, and he convinced Carrington to join him. They expected collegiality, a place to call home, away from home. That's what I kind of picture. The virtues of Greek life are supposed to include higher grades, a sense of camaraderie that lasts a lifetime, but you have to be alive to benefit. Here's Carrington's story. He was forced to endure, in order to be admitted, forced to endure months of hazing rituals as part of a process known as pledging, of course. 
Their initiation culminated when they did a series of strenuous calisthenics in a basement floor. Pipes in the house had backed up, spewing sewage in the basement. Fans blew cold air onto them as their would-be brothers had them drink water repeatedly from a five-gallon jug. They soiled themselves, but they had to keep going. For Carrington, it proved to be too much for his body to handle, and he died. The words, in the basement, no one can hear you scream, were reportedly scrawled on the subterranean walls. Few may have heard Carrington as he suffered, but Smith has been speaking for him. His mom has been speaking for him in the hopes of preventing another hazing death, but still the dread persists. And this is a story, as I say, that has been heard every year for at least the last 20 years. And despite this, there seems to be very little change, very little change. Recent deaths have increased pressure, but they really haven't. The North America Interfraternity Council recently adopted a policy that prohibits hard liquor from frat houses. Uh, The group's president stressed that it was students who voted to adopt that policy. The group also has worked with parents who lost their children to hazing, he said, to push for stronger anti-hazing laws. He called the high-profile death in 2017 of Timothy Piazza. Remember, that was the 19-year-old at Penn State who died tragically after a hazing ritual that had him consume a life-threatening amount of alcohol, and then he fell down a flight of stairs and died. But the attention-grabbing bad incidents, according to the president of the North American Infraternity, Inter, I'm sorry, Interfraternity Council, despite those bad incidents, they mask the positive experiences of Greek life. He says they are timeless, the benefits are. And despite all the bad press around hazing deaths, enrollment numbers are on the rise. So sell me on fraternities, or sororities for that matter, 414-799-1620. And if you feel as if something has to happen in terms of the abolishment of them across the country, you can make that case as well. 414-799-1620. We'll go to the phones. We have some open lines for you. The text line is lighting up as well as we dive into a Thursday Wagner List show edition. I'm Scott Warris, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Scott in for Jeff. 414-799-1620. As the USA Today reports today, Young men have died in fraternities every year for 20 years, but many fraternities are slow to change. And I detailed uh, a parent, and there's several stories in this whole article about different parents who have lost sons to uh, the initiation process, the hazing that goes on in the initiation process, who are trying to get fraternities across the country to change their ways. Some have, but... In large part, several organizations feel not enough is being done. So some are saying, you know what, maybe this is a chance for us just to ban them all together. But as somebody who was never in a fraternity, and quite honestly, the only time I interact with fraternities or even have them top of mind, I'll be honest, it's when something bad goes on, when somebody dies. That's the only time that I, or the idea of a fraternity ever enters my consciousness. So tell me the good or the bad, for that matter. You can make the case to ban them if you like, but 
What's the value of a fraternity? I need a little education here, so that's why I come and turn to you. Let's start with Wauwatosa, and we talk to Linda. You're up first. Um, hi, Linda. Hi, Scott. This is Linda from Wauwatosa. Go ahead. Go ahead, Linda. Um, I think I, I, my son is in a fraternity in UW Oshkosh, and um, it's been very good for him. There are different kinds of fraternities. There are social fraternities. There are academic fraternities, and there are sports-related fraternities. He's in a more academic fraternity, and the house is dry. And um, he's somewhat of an introvert, and it's been very good for him to meet people. He's the treasurer of the fraternity. It's given him that experience. Um, so I think that's very good. But I do think that the social fraternities need to be reined in. What type of what type of initiation did he have to go through? Was there a certain pledging week, you know, pledge week, something like that, for a for, for an academic fraternity? How does that work? Yes, yes, but it didn't involve. You know, it didn't mm-hmm. involve a lot of alcohol. It involved more of bonding and sharing experiences. And, you know, I mean, I can't say 100% because I wasn't there, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, I just know that alcohol isn't allowed in the, in the house. And, you know, it's more of a friendship and a, a, a bonding experience for these guys to um, do community service together. I know they volunteer um, they don't volunteer, but they work at the Packer games in order to earn money for their um, fraternity. And, you know, so it's given him a lot of good life lessons. But my husband was in a social fraternity in, at UW-Madison in the late 80s. And, you know, there were definitely issues with alcohol consumption and drug consumption. And, you know, I, I definitely think the social fraternities need to be, need to hold the line a little bit better on their hazing and things like that. Thanks for the call, Linda. I appreciate that perspective. 414-799-1620. Speaking of Madison, uh, Mark in Heartland was in a frat at Madison. Hi, Mark. You're up next. Uh, Thanks Thanks for taking my my call. I I was in Delta Upsilon, an international fraternity, Hmm. late 70s and early 80s. And at that time, drinking was allowed, and the drinking rage on campus um, was 18, and now they have gone at least for 8 or 10 years now. UW-Madison, in general, has become a dry campus, and it's forbidden by our international and our local chapters. There is no drinking like there was. There, that has pluses and minuses for socialization. But I think any fraternity or sorority member will tell you, moving far away from home or even across state to go to an unfamiliar school when you're a very, very young adult. The fraternity and the sorority not only provides a socializing atmosphere, it provides an avenue, an additional avenue, to make that jump from adolescence to manhood or womanhood. Mm -hmm. This has been a tradition in fraternities and sororities in this country dating back about 300 years, and it's a proven thing. It works. Thanks for the call, Mark. I do appreciate it. 414-799-1620. We'll continue. Larry, Kristen, hang on the line. We'll jump on the text line as well. I'm simply asking for you to make the case for fraternities because as, and there is reform going on. There are attempts to eliminate the alcohol from a lot of these fraternities whereby, look, it's, it's not, it's not a leap to look at alcohol use with some of these horrible 
conclusions or these horrible results for these freshmen that are being initiated. I mean, it's it's not a stretch to jump from one to the other. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 1236, Scott Warris in for the vacationing. Jeff Wagner with you until 3 o'clock this afternoon. Don't forget Packers football coverage starts at 4, 4 o'clock. So we get you three hours and 20 minutes of pregame action heading to kickoff. Back to the lines here. They've been very patient. Let's uh, start with Larry. He's calling us from Milwaukee. Hi, Larry. Hi there. So you were in a fraternity, I understand. I was in a fraternity back in the 1960s. Okay, so make the case for the frat house. Make the case. Okay, I can make it for a couple uh, a couple bases. Number one, I was a very uh, shy person. Uh, being part of the fraternity gave me a lot of confidence. The fraternity brothers helped build my confidence. We were a fraternity that was very strong on academics. I had help on a, a couple of the subjects that I was weak in. Uh, and on a social basis, our interaction with the sororities uh, really helped me to be comfortable with dating. And in fact, that was the way I met my wife at 51 years. So I'd say that there was some payoff for you in the long run, Larry, <laughs> if you met your wife. <laughs> well, she may not say that, but I would. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Thanks for the call, Larry. Let's head to... Uh... Yeah, if you if you meet your spouse and then you're married for 51 years, I would say that maybe there was a long-lasting benefit of being in a fraternity. So a lot of a lot of good fraternity stories here. Uh to Fox Point, Kristen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. I've got a couple points. Um I think other organizations other than Greek Life pays their, you know, new people. I know the soccer team and the polo team or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard stories of that as well. Um, I think the universities keep those more under wraps. The second thing is I think that parents do bear some responsibility of getting their kids ready for college with regards to drugs and alcohol. Um, and with regards to future sorority and fraternity benefits, when you move to a new town, there's usually an alumni group, and it helps you meet people really fast. And then just second, um, I know that I hire for a company, and when I see a Greek organization on a resume, it makes me think twice, like look twice, and think this person is more like me. Um, so there are possible hiring advantages. Oh, okay, so I misunderstood where you were going with that. So you see somebody on a resume, for example, put down that they were a member of a, a Greek fraternity or sorority, in college, and, and that you see as a benefit in the hiring process? Uh, no, just now. Just now you had asked what the benefits are after college. Right. And I think when you move to a new town, the alumni groups help oh. you get to know people. And then also being a hiring manager, when I see a resume that has mm-hmm. you know a Greek organization on it, I do look twice, and I think that person is more like me. More like you, you said? Yep, more like me, and I know who I am and what my values are, and that's somebody I would probably want in my organization. Hmm, interesting. Thanks for the call, Chris, and I appreciate it. One more here. Let's head across the pond. Donna in Michigan. Hi, Donna. You're on WTMJ. Oh, thank you. I love your station. I have to tell you, my brother went to University of Wisconsin, and his daughter went to uh, U of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, so I feel like I can speak about this to your listeners. Um you know, I was hazed in 
high school. In a Catholic high school, the uh, seniors threw me off the pier in Michigan City, Indiana, <laughs> as hazing, and made me eat chocolate-covered ants, okay? So that's how I started school. And then when I went to Denver University in the 70s, uh, I saw a lot of Animal House situations. And a lot of my girlfriends were compromised, but some of their experiences with the boys. Now, I'm not blaming all the institutions for this. And I know I'm listening to your uh, speakers, and they have great things to say about fraternities and sororities. But I can tell you, I turned them down for the simple reason that I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like what I saw then, and I don't like what I'm seeing now. I see fraternities in colleges, I won't name them, in all four states around Lake Michigan. If there's one more boy or girl that dies in a fraternity or sorority, and there has been, I say they've got to come up to 2019 or 2020 and change the way they do business. That's what I'm asking for. They're not all bad, but there's a lot of bad that goes on there with the good. And they've got to get with the program, get modernized. I don't want another family to lose a son because they've been, some boy has been plied with alcohol or dropped a hundred sure. miles Let from where they live. Let me ask you this, Donna. Let me ask you yeah. this, because you, you suffered uh, you know, a certain degree of hazing, and you're right, there, yeah. there, are, there are these horrific stories, like, like I said, like the headline says, there's been at least uh, one death in a fraternity every year for the last 20 years. Terrible. Would you, would you completely scrap fraternities? Should, should they be no. banned from campuses across no, the country? No, you, 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 thank you for saying that, because uh, the way you put it is brilliant, because your listeners have been calling in and saying, They've had good experiences, and there is a lot of education. There's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of um, young people that uh, get a lot of help from being in a sorority and a fraternity. But there is still the animal house kind of concept, and I still see it. You know, I'm in my 60s, but I have young friends that have kids in college, and they tell me horror stories. Yep. And, I mean, I'm talking about the, the sororities from, you know, places like the Ivy League all the way down to, you know, community colleges. I don't want to see hazing anymore. I got thrown off the pier in Michigan yeah. City, Indiana. Well, I don't want to see anybody right. being dumped 100 well, miles from the sorority in the middle of winter naked. You know, we hear all these stories or being plied with alcohol. Right. So that's all I'm saying. We need to get to 2020, and thank you for this Thank Story, you. We need more of that. I appreciate it, Donna, very much. And obviously that is a topic that Donna's passionate about because the way that it has touched her. And, and, and she makes a good point there at the end about how issues with fraternities and sororities, it, it isn't just applicable to certain schools. This is something that universities and colleges have to deal with coast to coast, whether you're an Ivy League, whether you're a... A, uh, a you know a, a state institution, whether it's a familiar name like a Penn State University or a UW Madison or a lesser known smaller college and university, the efforts are being made to get rid of a lot of the and oftentimes alcohol related issues, whether it's a dry frat or whatever the case may be. The, the the attempt is being made by these organizations. Do I think that it's time we ban them all together? I don't. I, I think that that is a drastic overreach. Now to hear that there's people dying every year for the last two decades that certainly is that certainly does not make anybody feel good but to say that they've got to be wiped off the face of the earth altogether is just simply a step too far and i think too there's a certain amount of 
change that that is happening just socially i would venture a guess that the amount of over the top pledging that that has that that goes on now is not what it was maybe a decade or so ago i think we're a lot more conscious i think in in social terms there's a lot more awareness to the atmosphere that young people will put themselves in on the other side of the coin though the peer pressure element the idea that it's a brand new campus a brand new social network how do i fit in how can i fit in as quickly as possible and not be an outcast i have a group of people around me i want to be part of that i think that is a that is an innate feeling that 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 human beings have they want to be included they don't want to be on the outside looking in and a lot of times maybe they're willing to sacrifice um you know to get into a sorority or into a fraternity and to the extent they're willing to sacrifice is what brings a lot of this into question so i appreciate that conversation um i still don't know you know i'd have to think would i have joined uh, would i have joined a or tried to join a fraternity if i had that option when i was in college i don't know i really don't but again that desire to be a part of the in crowd or be a part of a group that that tugs at you especially you know a lot of you if, if you're thinking now that you're an adult You've matured fully and whatnot, but think back to, you know, 18, 19 years old, going into college and, and having that sense of the unknown. Are you going to fit in? You were at the top of the, you were at the top of the, of the, uh, the top of the totem pole if you were back in high school when you're a senior and you're running campus and all that stuff. And now you're, you're a lowly freshman in college. That's a tough transition to make. And for some, it helps to join a fraternity, regardless of what you have to go through to get in the door. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Twelve forty-nine. Scott Warris sitting in for the vacationing. Jeff Wagner up until three o'clock. We are. Uh, let's see. Kickoff is at 7.20 tonight, so we are under the, we're about six and a half hours away from kickoff. Scale of 1 to 10, um, I'm about a 7 or an 8. Not quite at the 10 level, maybe I will be in about six hours or so, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Football season starts. Preseason was as bad as it gets this year. I hope the preseason is never like this again. From this point forward, can we get to the two preseason you know, schedule. Uh, I, I'd be ready for it. And here's the thing to remember, too, by the way. If Rodgers struggles tonight, what's going to be the story tomorrow? He should have played in the preseason. If only, if not even if Rodgers struggles, just if the offense struggles, never mind the fact they're playing maybe the best defense in the entire NFL, tomorrow morning, forget tomorrow morning, post-game show, Packers OT with Matzik and company after the game, that will be the narrative. If only these guys, if only Rodgers would have played in the preseason, then things would have been so much smoother. Yeah, because taking six snaps and running bland vanilla offense against bland vanilla defense helps you get ready for real football, right? Okay, just remember that. That that will be the that will be the narrative of all the phone calls tonight and tomorrow if the offense doesn't look like something that meets the expectations of 
the fans. Real quickly, I just want to, you know, as Milwaukee works towards bettering its image, which is going to be as important as ever now as the mayoral race heats up, the Lena Taylor entry in the race this week, oh, this is going to be fun, folks. Sit back, buckle your seatbelt, and enjoy the ride as this thing builds. I love that debate, Mayor Barrett there and uh, Lena Taylor over there and going at it. That could be entertaining. And that comes from somebody who loves the good entertainment of the debate. But nevertheless, the image of Milwaukee is on center stage and will be throughout this mayoral race and certainly the buildup to the DNC next summer when the city is portrayed you know, on, on, on a national and even in some ways an international scale. And there are so many good things that are happening, but as is often the case, all you need is one bad story, one bad headline to chip away, I think, sizably at any good story because I think the city of Milwaukee is kind of working at this from behind. What am I talking about? This email, this um, blotter report, if you will, from last night, the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office. On Wednesday, September 4th, at approximately 8.10 p.m., sheriff's deputies attempted to stop a reckless driver during a traffic stop. Have we heard that before? A couple times, I think. As the deputies approached on foot, the subject who had stopped fled the scene, crashed into a vehicle at 44th and Capitol Drive. The subject in the striking vehicle continued driving until the vehicle crashed again into a tree at 75th and Glendale. The subject fled the scene on foot. As of last night at 939, the subject was still at large and no further details at that time. Now, I just bring this up because in that simple what, four-sentence report from the Sheriff's Department, you, again, have an example of something that completely, well, maybe not completely, but in large part negates a lot of good that's happening in the city. And these examples, I'm holding up the email here, these examples are what I think continues to pull the city down from making any true progress. For all the ribbon cuttings and the new business and, you know, another form of transportation is helping the citizens work their way from one end of town to the other. For all the good, these incidents do, I think, in some ways, more bad than the good does good. Does that make sense? Because... This continues to feed the narrative that Milwaukee is not a safe city. And the crime statistics will tell you that you need to question whether or not it is truly a safe city. But incidents like this, incidents and moments like this and examples like this, every little, air quotes, example of a reckless driver, somebody fleeing from police, that gets out into the, into the media stream. And rightfully so, mind you. Heck, I'm bringing it up. It it bogs down the efforts of the mayor and the city leaders to build the city up for the good that is happening within its limits. So I just bring that up because it is another example of the larger narrative continuing to win out that Milwaukee is struggling with crime and 
for every ribbon cutting, you get one of these, and these are the instances, and you don't even have to talk about nationally. These are the instances that those of you who live in the suburbs hear about and think about and go, man, I don't know if I should make my way into Milwaukee for that show, for that concert, for that sporting event. These are the things that happen that continue to bring down the reputation and always will until there is a concerted effort and a definite advantage being done by the law enforcement against the crime in the city. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Scott Warris sitting in for the vacationing Mr. Wagner, 109. Appreciate you joining us on this Thursday. Football starts tonight. It is here just telling Melissa, Melissa just asked me if I was watching it anywhere in particular, what I was doing for the game, and I said, I'm one of those people, and maybe, Kyle, you tell me if you agree. Kyle uh, Paczynski producing the big program, as always. Gru is also uh, with Jeff. Gru is uh, with Jeff on the vacation, so Kyle is in for him. I can't watch with... Let me, let me start over. I can't watch games in large part... With a lot of people, um, certainly not in a bar, restaurant type atmosphere. I just can't because I'm usually then stuck next to the you know the, the moron who wants to trade Aaron Rodgers because he had a bad pass attempt in the middle of the first quarter. I, there's just something about it. I like to be there in a quiet atmosphere, consuming the broadcast taking it in, you know, monitoring maybe some of the stats as the game goes on. I've never been somebody, maybe we'll talk about this another day, I've never been somebody who can watch with a crowd. I just, I I, I don't like it. I, I would prefer to just kind of be in my cone of silence there, consuming it. I'm also very, um, what's the word? Uh, I'm also very superstitious in that, <laughs> if the Packers are on a good drive and I'm sitting, you know, on the end of the couch, I will, I'll admit it, I will then not move if I notice that, man, me sitting in this position really helping the team tonight because, of course, I'm impacting what's happening on the football field by sitting on the edge of the couch instead of sitting back or sitting in a chair or sitting in a chair instead of the couch, whatever the case may be. So <laughs> yeah. So your superstition yeah. is if something really big is happening in the game, you lean forward and you get more engaged in watching? No, he, he, that's, that, that's what it sounds like. I will tell... No, if, if the game is... If I notice that... Man, the offense has been rolling, and more times than not, I'm laying down on the couch and watching on the touchdown drives, and then I sit up and they get a three and out. I admittedly will make sure I lay down for their next drive because I feel as if that is impacting what's happening okay, sure. on the field. Yeah, that's that's still okay. Yeah, that's a little bit superstitious, but that's not. It's not superstitious. It's not. No, no, really? no. You... That's not the craziest thing that I've ever heard. I mean, my, you'll 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 hear people that like don't change socks or something, or no. like my like my dad for for example, he will wear the same 
Packers socks during the regular season. He'll wash them and everything, normal socks. But then in the postseason, forget about it. He's never, he's never going to wear those socks because they will lose games during the regular season too, like when he's wearing the socks. They, they'll win, they'll lose, whatever. It's not guaranteed. And he will never wear them during the postseason, big games, um, yeah, anything that really means something. But something in the playoffs, if he's wearing a certain pair of socks in the playoffs and they win, will he then wear those socks the next game? No. No, no, no. No. Wait, he, so it's just a regular season thing. Just right? a re- yep. Yeah. So like he'll be wearing them tonight, he'll wear them next week, whatever. Um and he if if maybe if they clinch the playoffs in like week 17, something like that, maybe he'd wear it then, but if it's a playoff game or something of like really big one and done. Right. Not wearing them. No. That's that is odd. That is because you would think if you've had success with them, you just keep wearing them, and then you want success ultimately in the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't, are we alone in this? Scott texts in. We had a friend who was in the bathroom when Green Bay scored, so we then put. That's, <laughs> see, yeah. We then hang on. We then put a chair in there and made him stay in the bathroom the rest of the game. I assume they won. I don't know, but I, I, I bet I'm not. I don't think I'm alone in terms of the idiosyncrasies, the superstitions that fans have. I know of other people who work in this building and have worked in this building who will feel as if, you know what, if I'm sitting on the edge of my seat and the defense, let's say, is playing really well, this is how I'm going to stay for the duration of the game, or at least until something changes. And usually it's when you change your position on the couch Trust me, folks, I've got this down to a science. It's usually when you change your position on the couch and the chair where you're standing, where you're sitting, you change and then something goes wrong. And you think, oh, crap. And then you got to, okay, now was I sitting for that drive? Was I laying down for that drive? Now, fans have superstitions. They do. Should we see if there's anything wilder than that? I'm not superstitious at all. Nothing. You're doing not nothing. In, not in the least. Okay. Let's just let, let's see. Maybe nobody will call. Maybe nobody cares. And then we'll move on because we, we will get to the politics. But we're, we're kind of riffing on this. So join in. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620 on the Akin and Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or just say, Scott, you're a moron and an idiot. Look, I recognize I'm not impacting what's happening on the field. But nevertheless, I do think there's, I don't know. What is it about that? I did the same thing with baseball. I went through a stretch this year where the Brewers, it was like an entire homestand. And every time I was in a, I, I changed the station to something else, they scored all their runs and I'd come back and they're striking out with runners in a scoring position. Yeah, uh, Jeff from Ingleside, Illinois texting in. If they are doing poorly, I'll change my hat or jersey. So there he's actually changing what he's wearing mid-game because, again, Jeff... Is you agree with me, you are impacting the performance of the team on the field. Another one, 9-2-0. I wear the same clothes when my team wins. I don't wash good out either. You don't wash the good, quote-unquote, out of the clothes. But And then he says, or she says, I don't know. But I'm a Dolphins fan, so I don't get to change clothes. Ooh, bad, bad luck on this one. Ooh. Yeah, all right. So I know you're out there as well. I know. I know. So tonight, I'll report back tomorrow. Here's what we'll do, because I'm here tomorrow for Jeff. He's off again. Tomorrow, I will let you know my idiosyncrasies tonight. And it maybe it's... Sometimes I'll stand. I'll find myself standing and watching. 
And then it's like, well, now I can't sit down because if I, they're on a drive. Can't sit down. Got to stay on my feet. And then you just hope it's not a 17-play drive and you're standing for 10 minutes. So, so you said you're not going anywhere to, to watch the game tonight. You're going to be staying home, watching the game. Yeah. Is that, is that how we started the conversation? I think that's how we started. Yeah. Do, do you have friends or family that's going to be visiting or that, that are watching no, the game with tonight you? tonight it'll just be me, Wayne, Larry, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, some that combination. Typical? Like you, you almost always watch it alone. Yeah, may, maybe a couple friends come over. I'll go over to somebody's. Usually, it's maybe three, four at the most because we're all kind of wired the same. I will not watch. I will rarely, if ever, I try not to watch games in a public place. Like I said, because yeah, it's loud, know. it's obnoxious. Maybe they don't have the. I want to hear the broadcast. You want to consume the analysis because I think you know. In this case, the TV guys are great. Collinsworth is a great analyst. I like to consume that as well. Oh, now they're coming in. All right, we'll take a break, two-minute break, and then we'll go back to the text line. If, if you want to just throw us your crazy idiosyncrasy, your superstition, because football season starts, we'll take it. Or just call me and, and, and call up and, and say, Scott, you're an idiot. We'll also put you on the air if you say that. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Scott Warris in for Jeff. Okay, the tech people are more willing to text and admit their uh, sports-watching superstitions than call, apparently. That, that's okay. That's okay. Here, we've got some good ones here. So, let's see. Um, Dana in Milwaukee. If things are going badly after the first quarter or so, my mom, so Dana uh, um, you know, is kind of telling us her mom's thing, will declare her shirt unlucky. <laughs> I hereby declare my shirt unlucky. And she'll go in the other room and choose a different Packers shirt altogether. All right? Mark from Bristol. Ooh, this is, see now this is, this is a deep-rooted superstition. I will not drive during the Packers game. I was going to my hunting property up north listening when Rogers broke his collarbone. He's done it twice, so one of the two times. Now I plan all my trips around the schedule. So he won't even be in a he won't even be in an automobile. That's hardcore mark, but I admire you for it. <laughs> the 262. When I was younger, I chugged a glass of water every time the Packers had the ball so they would score. It partially worked. <laughs> yeah, but then the problem is you're running to the bathroom how often? <laughs> and then you miss the well if you run to the bathroom during the commercial breaks, maybe. 414 says, Scott, I set up my Packers shrine, and on close plays, my 20-year-old son and I put our foot on a man cave floor mat, and it works. On close plays, I put we put our foot on a man cave floor mat. It's like a superstitious hokey-pokey situation going on there. <laughs> Donna Hartland and she sent a photo of her Packers gnomes, or gnomes, if you prefer. My Packer gnomes watch the game, and if they start playing poorly, the gnomes either get turned around or I lay them down. They do not go back to watching the game until the Packers improve. All right. The 608. I must wear my Packers sweatshirt so they can win. If I can't wear it for some reason, I will not stay in the room to watch the game because that would be bad luck. I will walk in and out of the room to keep track of what's going on. See, I'm not alone. I feel a lot better. This is a, this is a uh, very therapeutic for me. No, Matt from Milwaukee. 
Okay. <laughs> Matt from Milwaukee, Texan, says, I, I will not wear pants until the Packers score a touchdown. <laughs> Neither do I. I'm pantsless right now, Maddie. Kevin in Belgium, uh, if the Packers are not playing aggressively enough, I will put my jersey on, go in the backyard, run, and uh, with my shoulder knock down my deer decoy. Oh, so Kevin, Kevin actually tries to, he himself raises his level of aggressiveness by tackling a deer decoy in the backyard if he feels the Packers aren't playing aggressively enough. All right, Kevin, that's good. That's good. Better to do that than tackle your neighbor. Okay, somebody wants to go on the air and voice their football or sports-watching superstition. Brian, a fellow West Elysian. Hi, Brian. You're on WTMJ. How are you doing today, sir? All right, Brian. So admit on the 50,000-watt radio station, admit it like (laughs) I have, what is your sports-watching superstition? Well, superstition number one, I just got back from Coles to get some new gear because last year was bad. That gear was bad. Got new gear. Oh, all right. I have to, I have to, I have to watch a game in my man cave by myself because I get a little loud and I've got my uh, bad call brick. It's it's mm-hmm. it's styrofoam, but I have yeah. to throw out TV from time to time. So, <laughs> let me ask you this, Brian. So I understand you bought new clothes for this season. You bought a new jersey, as it were. What do you do with last year's clothes? Do you, do you burn it? Is there a ritual whereby you? Buried in the backyard? Nah, kind of hard to do, but yeah. uh, I'll, I guess I'll keep it. Maybe if they go to the Super Bowl, maybe mm-hmm. I'll throw it on or something like that. But <laughs> now nah, this year, it's just like new gear. Let's fire it up. Let's go. <laughs> All right. All right. Sounds good, Brian. Well, hopefully they get the new gear off on the right foot tonight. Somebody else wants to chime in here? 414-799-1620. We've kind of got on a superstition binge i will get to jim sensen are people calling up saying talk about jim sensen brenner no well well he just uh, 262 texter says i have a cutler's packers jersey what a jay cutler packers jersey i had specially made because he is our fourth greatest quarterback i wear it for every bears game for great luck okay let's go to manitowoc and talk to gary gary in manti as, How are you doing? As they call it. Okay, Gary, uh, what, is your, what is your football <laughs> Packers superstition that will be now in effect tonight, I hope? Yes. When they start doing badly, I go to Netflix and I watch reruns of Friends because I cannot stand Friends episodes. I, I hate the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you would rather watch a hated television sitcom yep. than watch the Packers? And then will you flip back to see how they're doing? Yeah, but it has to be 15 minutes. Oh, that, so, yeah. 15 minutes is a long time. I mean, I know, a lot can torture. happen in 15 minutes. It's torture, but you have to watch Friends. So not many people come over to my house anymore for games. I was going to say, Gary, <laughs> I, don't know how many, I don't know how many parties you're hosting. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Gary. I appreciate it. I, I will do that as well if the team is doing poorly, and I just can't. I will, I will flip to something else. Now, I won't wait 15 minutes to come back. But, uh, yeah, th- there are times where if the team is just performing Poorly, I just I can't handle it. I gotta change it up, change it up a little bit. It's one twenty six. See, I'm not alone. I feel a lot better now. I appreciate those of you for helping me, and uh, for those of you who don't have superstitions, I encourage you to do so because we actually are impacting what is happening on the field of competition. We are really.
Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, after the news with Melissa, we will take your calls on the person you would like to see run for Jim Sensenbrenner's congressional seat. This is something that does not come around all that often, as we've been talking about. Sensenbrenner is as, uh, well, synonymous with the United States Congress as anyone, really, the second longest tenured of all the current congressional members in the U.S. House of Representatives and yesterday announcing that he is going to be retiring. And uh, there are some interesting names, and there's certainly no shortage of Republican names tied to this seat. And several of them are saying they will ponder perhaps a run. But whether they're pondering it or not, who would you like to see run and or win this seat. Uh, I think there are a lot of names that are out there, the names, familiar names. Maybe there's a name or two of somebody that is uh, in a position to do so that we don't know. So we'll do this after the news. Don't forget, after 2 o'clock, we'll get you ready for Packers-Bears. We're going to be talking about your most memorable Packers-Bears moment. And keep in mind, I'm asking for the most memorable. It doesn't have to be your favorite, necessarily, because there are some memorable, sadly, losses and maybe if you're a Bears fan, you can weigh in as well. So we'll do that. Um, Melissa Barclay is here ready for news. Are you superstitious at all in sports watching of any kind, such as we were talking about? If you're sitting in a particular seat, will you not move if no. the Packers are on the on the run? No, but I do watch. I watch the games out at local establishments or bars. And I do wear, as you can see today, I'm in full Packers gear. Is that is that a special shirt? No, not really. It's just a, a cute Packers shirt. And I do have Packers oh, earrings. Oh, you're decked I know. out. <laughs> I know. Today, it's a, it's a rare moment it where is. I'm decked out. It's, you know, first game of the season. So I'm, uh, you know, rooting for the good old Packers. It's an unofficial holiday. Yeah. That's for sure. Kickoff, less than six hours. We are under six hours from kickoff. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One thirty-six. Now we'll dip our toes in those political waters that I promised a little while ago. Okay, so uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, Jim Sensenbrenner announcing that he will be stepping down from his seat in Congress. The departure, as uh, Molly Beck writes in the Journal Sentinel today, the departure of the dean of the Wisconsin congressional delegation has opened a floodgate of potential Republican candidates in Wisconsin's most conservative district. (laughs) Sensenbrenner's advice to them, quote, don't kill each other, please, end quote. Hmm. So my question is simply, who, and you don't have to necessarily be a constituent of Sensenbrenner to weigh in on this, by the way. 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whom, whom would you like to see run for and or fill Sensenbrenner's congressional seat? Because this is such a Republican stronghold, and it takes up you know, a portion of the state, the, this 5th Congressional District, portions of Jefferson County, Milwaukee County, Washington, Waukesha, Dodge, and Walworth County, that it really encompasses the districts where a lot of other familiar, even famous names reside. And so you have, because they're residents, 
the opportunity for several to get in the race. Um, Molly Beck outlined some of the front runners, if that's the right term to use. That's my term, not hers. But on the text line, first of all, um, one of the names that Beck mentions is Leah Vukmir. Of course, Vukmir, the former state uh, representative, then state senator. Uh, she challenged Tammy Baldwin for the U.S. Senate seat uh, last time around and uh, came up short. But Justin texts in saying Leah Vukmir, former nurse. She understands what's needed in health care reform and represents the strong conservative family values of the constituents in that district. Jeff, and, and as I said, Leah Vukmir is a name that uh, Beck mentions in her piece this morning. And uh, Vukmir said Thursday she is, quote, strongly considering the terrific opportunity. Okay, so that's her response to that. Jeff and Fox Point texted in a name. This is some a name that I haven't heard of and really thought of for several years. Eric Hovde. Remember Eric Hovde? He made the push for a U.S. Senate seat in uh, 20, was that 2012? I believe that was two thousand. Yeah, that was, was that two. Yeah, two thousand twelve. Um, but anyway, Eric Hovde or was that twenty ten? Anyway, Hovde uh, tried to make a push, uh, lost in the primary. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, here are the names that Molly Beck mentions. Among the potential Republican contenders are Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald. Hmm. Waukesha County Executive Paul Farrow, who it is the general consensus, and I'm not a political insider by any means, but a lot of the insiders, and it's kind of general thought that Paul Farrow might have his eyes set on something bigger. Is this the something bigger for him, or is the something bigger a seat in Madison? Talking about the governor's mansion. Or perhaps a Senate seat, if Ron Johnson does not run again, or maybe challenge Tammy Baldwin after that. Former Republican U.S. Senate candidate Kevin Nicholson. Nicholson, of course, who lost to Leah Vukmir in the GOP primary to challenge Baldwin last time around. We mentioned Leah Vukmir. Here's a name, Ben Volkel. Ben Volkel. I think that I've corresponded with Ben over the years, but I don't know how to pronounce his last name, sadly. He is a Waukesha native. He's actually the uh, communications director for Senator Ron Johnson, previously worked on campaigns for Scott Walker and Tommy Thompson. Apparently, Volkel is also considering a run. Hmm, interesting. Now, how did some of these individuals respond when Molly Beck and the Journal Sentinel reached out? Well, Paul Farrow said to the Journal Sentinel yesterday that he was shocked by the news of Senator Brenner's retirement and would be taking over the possibility of running with his family in the coming days. Is that big enough for Paul Farrell, or should he have his sights set on something bigger? I mean, the governor challenged Tony Evers, maybe, next time around. Is being governor bigger than being one of, you know, several hundred House of Representative members? As for Scott Fitzgerald, the leader of the state Senate, he's also strongly considering a run. We mentioned Vukmir, strongly considering the opportunity, she says. He has enormous shoes to fill. He'll be missed. I look forward to making a decision in the coming days. Interesting. Yeah, you know, there, there, there is no, be, again, because of, the, because of the district, 
and the swath of land that is covered in this district. I mean, if you if you think right now of some of the most prominent Republican names that could take a shot at this seat, Scott Fitzgerald, Paul Farrow, are probably at or near the top when you think of prominent Republicans in this state. Kevin Nicholson, of course, wants to maybe still strike while people remember uh, him and his story. Vukmir, of course. I don't know if there's a leader in the clubhouse, per se, or if there's somebody that would be out front early. I mean, the Pharaoh name, Fitzgerald. Um, It is, though, interesting to think, with Sensenbrenner now stepping down, just the change when it comes to state Republican icons, state Republican leaders, just the change that has happened in the last three years where you had Paul, what do they call it, the cheesehead revolution, right? You had Paul Ryan as the Speaker of the House. Scott Walker, arguably the most prominent Republican governor, made a run for president himself. The Fitzgerald brothers, Jeff and Scott, running the Assembly and the Senate at one point in time, respectively. Ron Johnson. Now it's kind of Ron Johnson holding the torch alone, so who are the next ones to step up? And Jim Sensenbrenner, obviously, who at one time the head of the Appropriations Committee, sat on the Judiciary Committee. He was prominent for the, the Patriot Act, and you can debate the, the, the way that that has kind of played out in the years since 9-11. Also played a prominent role in the impeachment trial and the case against former President Bill Clinton. It was a great shot of Sensenbrenner and Henry Hyde kind of holding court, if you will, in the Judiciary Committee during those impeachment proceedings. But nevertheless, there is certainly no shortage of Republicans that might be vying for the spot and a lot of decisions to be made. Do you have everybody kind of go for it? And then, like Sensenbrenner says, don't kill each other, please. Do, do you have that? Or is there maybe a, I always like to think of the, you know, the, the back room, the smoky back room where there's wheeling and dealing and, okay, I'll run for this because you're not going to do for that. You know, there's agreements made behind the scenes. Who knows? It will be interesting, though, and no shortage of Republican talent to vie for what is still going to be a pretty solid red seat for the foreseeable future. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, this I did not know about Jim Sensenbrenner. Or I had for, no, I, I never heard this. He's won the lottery. Did you know this? And not only that, he's he's won the lottery three times. Uh, this is one of the many pieces I'm just reading about um, his retirement. And at the end, it says uh, it's something else I didn't know. He's a descendant of the founder of Kimberly Clark. Anyway, um, he's won at least one District of Columbia Columbia Lottery for $250,000. Did you know that? I did not know that. Then I find uh, Politico reported back in 2007 that Representative Jim Sensenbrenner has, this was in 2007, has won the lottery for a third time. (laughs) What? He won the super second chance from the Wisconsin lottery where people mail at least $5 and losing tickets to try for a $1,000 prize. Yeah, he had won in 1997 a $250,000 jackpot. Then he won the super second chance in the spring of 
2007. Wow. Jim Sensenbrenner. Why is he playing the lottery? As of 2007, he had a net worth of over $11 million. I mean, he's, he's financially sick. When does anybody who's a millionaire play the lottery? Just for the thrill of it? Now, maybe he donated his winnings. I don't know what he did with the winnings. I'm not saying one or the other, but just if you're a million, isn't that how it works? Speaking of the lottery, I got a good lottery story. I'm going to do that as far as Great Scott in the next hour. But nevertheless, if you're a millionaire, what are you doing playing the lottery? People have also texted in. I was asking who should run for Sensenbrenner's seat, fill his seat. Uh, we have a text for Charlie Sykes. Yeah, not going to happen. And uh, Steve Scafidi. We could start that rumor now. I'm sure he would love that. Who t- we should give credit to uh, somebody said, uh, somebody, a mysterious 608 area code, Steve Scafidi should run for Congress. We could start that rumor here. No, Scafidi's got his eyes set on much lo- m- much higher position. No, I, I don't know. I'm not reporting anything. But All right, Steve-O, there you heard it. Start the campaign. Start the bumper stickers now. Um, no, I also mentioned this. So last night, CNN had a... It was a marathon town hall about climate change, about um, global warming, the future of our world, the future of our planet, and what the U.S. can do. And, and they paraded out all the Democrats running for president, those who are left, and, and had them gave them all about 30 to 45 minutes on stage to take some questions and answers from different CNN hosts and from the audience as well. But... The only news, and and the the big news that came of this was that during the Joe Biden portion of the program, his left eye began filling up with blood. It appeared that he had a blood vessel burst in his left eye during the town hall. And the photos have gone viral. The the time-lapse video of this happening has gone viral on social media. A broken blood vessel in the eye can be caused by several... Because now, now, of course, people are saying, well, what does this mean? What is this saying? It can be caused by high blood pressure, bleeding disorders, blood thinners, or even excessive straining. And then they go into some of Biden's history, health history, some of the issues, including in 1988 when he was so close to death after an aneurysm that burst required him to undergo emergency surgery, he was so close to death in 1988 that they actually had a priest begin preparing to administer the sacrament of last rites to Joe Biden. Then months later, surgeons clipped a second aneurysm before it burst, so now people are saying, "Uh uh-oh, there was bleeding in Biden's eye. What does this mean about his health? I still think Biden... Health aside, we're reading way way too much into this, and who cares? I really don't. I also don't. You know what else I don't care about right now is, that could be a topic, that could be a segment, a feature we do every once in a while. What don't you care about right now in the world of politics that's getting way too much coverage? The the Trump uh, Hurricane Dorian trajectory controversy where he referenced Alabama and then he put up a map yesterday a chart with like somebody had drawn a hurricane cone trajectory that would have encompassed Alabama and I just I don't have time for that I don't care about that and I'm telling you I don't think a bulk of Americans care about that and yet it's 
being given way too much time on different websites and in a lot of the news cycles right now. It's just, in the grand scheme of things, who cares? It's just not important, whether it's the cone trajectory of the hurricane. And let's be honest, I think most Americans are following and watching and listening to the experts on the hurricane. And I realize if it's the president of the United States saying, look out, Alabama, the hurricanes, the hurricanes are coming. I don't know that many Americans and many residents of Alabama changed what they were doing based on that because the narrative was out there shortly thereafter that Alabama was not going to be affected by Hurricane Dorian. Anyway, whether it's that, especially now a day, two days later, who cares? Let's move on to something else. Whether it's the blood in Biden's eye, as odd and as creepy a video as that is, a little bit too much time is being spent in some of the mainstream media avenues on it. People aren't going to place a vote based on that side note we were debating in the office area today i still think joe biden is the biggest threat to trump i really do and i understand that his numbers are going down and there might be some leveling off and elizabeth warren continues to be on the rise or at least pretty stable in some of her numbers and we're so far out so you know how much can you really trust the polls at this point i do very little but in the end I still think that Joe Biden is, is, for Democrats, the best chance to beat the president and is, in the end, the maybe the only chance to beat the president if it comes down to Biden. I think it'll be Biden versus, in, in the end, primary-wise, Biden versus Bernie or Warren. I just, I feel like that wing of the Democratic Party is going to coalesce and has to do so either around Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, and I think Warren has the leg up simply because there's a been there, done that with Bernie, and Warren is a is a fresher vo- face and voice for the Democrats that can carry that wing of the party. In the end, Warren or Sanders, I think Warren versus Biden down the stretch, and I, even though I know the numbers are going down right now, here we are over a year before the election, I still... I think Biden is the greatest threat to the president. And if Democrats don't realize that, then I think that they're going to lose that presidential election next fall. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff on vacation. Scott Warris, happy to be with all of you. We'll be doing so for the next several days. Kyle Pachinski is producing the big program as uh, Gru is uh, vacationing with Jeff together. So we wish them all the very best. So here we sit, 2.11 right now in the afternoon. Kickoff is at 7.20 Central Time tonight. Our coverage starts at 4 o'clock as we ramp up to kickoff. And uh, I was trying to think, okay, well, how can we, what can we do just for a little while here to have some fun with football being back? And, well, here's what I'd like to do. 414-799-1620, as we had in the newscast there, this will be the 199th meeting all-time between these two football teams. And so you've got 198 prior instances of Packers-Bears memories, depending on how old you are. And I was just thinking earlier today, man, there have been so many memorable matchups. And, again, I'm asking for your most memorable Packers-Bears game because that encompasses the good, the bad, the ugly, the spectacular. 
doesn't necessarily have to be a win. Now, if you're a Bears fan, maybe you have memories or memorable games that Packers fans don't, vice versa, all that good stuff. So let's have a little fun here on the afternoon of a football start. And as I said before, you can be a fringe football fan, but you can still have some pretty stark memories of a Packers-Bears game. Packers.com did a really nice job this week in the build-up. They listed the top ten matchups or the top ten games in the history of the series, and I'm willing to bet some of these are going to be on your list. So give us a call. Shoot us a text, 414-799-1620, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and share your most memorable Packers-Bears game. So we'll do that. Uh, Kyle will line them up. The texts will flow in, and we'll go to those who are already on hold. Let's start in Waukesha. Let's talk to John. Good afternoon, John. What is your most memorable Packers-Bears game? Well, I bet it's not on that list. It was opening day, September 10th. 2006 at Lambeau Field, nice sunny day. It turned out to be a day of Packer infamy for my wife and I. She had won a contest called Best Seats in the House. We were sitting on the 50-yard line in a recliner. Uh, It was Mike McCarthy's first game as Mm -hmm. head coach of the Packers. Mm -hmm. Brett Favre was the quarterback. He ended up throwing two interceptions and we were whipped 26 to nothing, <laughs> completely dominated. I, I was going to say, the best thing of that entire day were the seats the that seats you guys were in. <laughs> yeah, they had snacks for us. They had TV sets set wow. up for us. It was really, the weather was perfect. Yeah. Oh. Didn't, uh, did Erlacher return a, a far of interception for a touchdown or something? I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I, I so much bad news that day. There was just nothing good that came of that day except for the location of your seats. Right. That's a memory. Again, that was memorable. Didn't end in a victory, but for you, Johnny, it was memorable. Thanks for the call. That's exactly what we're looking for. Maybe it's one of these infamous games, good or bad, but maybe it's it's like uh, that one for John. One seats, fifty yard line, sitting there in a recliner. Sipping a cold one, watching the Packers get shut out to begin the McCarthy era. 414-799-1620. Continue on here. Watertown, let's talk to Dick. Dick, what is your most memorable matchup between these Hi. two rivals? Hi. Hi, good afternoon. I'm a big Chicago Bear fan out here in Watertown. Okay. Okay, I've just been more good ones than bad ones, but the one that sticks in my mind right now is back in 1985 when uh, Jim McMahon in the refrigerator uh, was running the balls into the end zone for a touchdown, and the best one was Jim McMahon uh, threw a touchdown pass to Perry in the touchdown. And, and remember Forrest Gregg going ballistic from the sidelines, so that one sticks him in my mind. That was, thanks for the call, Dick, and, and that one uh, has made a few lists and a few texters as well. That would have been Week 7, 1985, Monday Night Football. That was the the birth, if you will, of William the Refrigerator Perry on that Monday night. Remember, that you can still see the visual. That's when Soldier Field had turf. Now it's natural grass. And, yeah, he threw a touchdown. I mean, it, McMahon, I think, threw a touchdown pass, but the, the fridge also just kind of ran one in if you can call what he did running. Yeah, John is texting in um, another uh, from the 414, the fridge slamming into the end zone on Monday night. And you know who called that one on the radio? Our very own Wayne Larrabee, who was then working for the Bears. Which, by the way, it's great. Somebody from the 608 says, my favorite 
Packers Bears memory is when we got Wayne. <laughs> when the voice of the Bears saw the light and came north. That's great. Back to the phones. Jason and Mequon, what is your most memorable Packers Bears game moment? Hey, afternoon, Scott. Hey, um, it's when the pa- uh, Bears kicker squared up the upright perfectly and a doink fell straight down. Now, which which game? I mean, can you give me a year or, a, or, or something a like that? Years, was it last year or the year before? It was recent that it happened. Well, you're not talking about the the obviously that there was the double doink playoff loss for Chicago last year. That that's not what you're thinking of, though, is it? Uh, might be. It was against the Packers, though. No. I don't know. I, I got again. I, there's plenty of games that have slipped my memory, but um, yeah, I could be wrong. Too. I I do remember that there was one in particular. Um, where uh, it was the Bears that blocked. Thanks for the call, Jason. It was the Bears that blocked a field goal attempt. This is one of my most vivid memories. Um, it was in uh, week nine of 1999, because I was away at college. I was watching the game in the student union. They called it the Walter Payton game, because Payton had passed away that week leading up to the matchup. The Packers were set up for a field goal, potential game-winning field goal with under 10 seconds to go. Makeable field goal, I would say it was within 40 yards, certainly, maybe even 30-ish yards. And the Bears blocked the field goal, recovered it, clock ran out, and it was an upset, certainly, uh, in 99. And then it, it, it lives on in Bears lore, unfortunately, as the Walter Payton game, the spirit of Walter, blocked the kick. I don't know if I'd go that far, but nevertheless, that one I know is up there for some bad reasons for those of us on the Packers side of things. 414-799-1620. Good memories, some bad memories, but above it all, very memorable. That's what we're doing here as we ramp up to the kickoff in just a couple of hours. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff vacationing. I'm Scott Warris. Happy to be with you. Thanks to all of you who are taking part and listening to the program with you until 3 o'clock. That's when John and Melissa with an abbreviated Wisconsin's afternoon news. Our coverage, pregame coverage of the Packers and the Bears starts at four o'clock and we're just spending some time asking and talking about your most memorable doesn't have to be a good memory (laughs) but your most memorable packers bears moment a lot of good ones have made my list and you guys are echoing a lot of them this is one that has come up several times jeff edgerton you've got a popular one on your mind go ahead bud yeah my favorite game is when chester markle lined up in overtime to kick a field goal and alan page blocked it and went right back to Chester Markle, and he ran it in for a touchdown. The for, only touchdown he ever scored in his career. For a game-winning touchdown. They went yes, from the field goal to the game-winning touchdown. Do you know what year that was, Jeff? No, I'm thinking it was in the 80s. Yep, it was week one. So just like tonight, it was the first game of the year. Week one of 1980. 1980. All right. Hard to believe it was that 40, almost 40 years ago. Oh, gee. Yeah. Yep. Talk about snatching victory out of the jaws of defeat. Yeah, you can say that again. Thanks (laughs) for the call, bud. And, yes, that is a popular one in the text line as well. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Tony in Elkhorn. Tony, you had the same one, right? Yeah, I did, but I can substitute the Great Pumpkin game on Halloween night where they went to Chicago and pummeled the Bears in the mid-'90s, and they retired uh, Dick Butkus and – 
Gail Sayers uniforms at halftime in a driving rainstorm, and the Packers blew them out. And, and the Packers ruined it completely. Yes, indeed. That is a good one. Thanks, Tony. And uh, who else had them? Uh, had that one on the list. Oren in Cedarburg. That was your game as well, right, Oren? Yeah, but I've got a better one. Go for uh, it. New Year's, New Year's Eve, the year the Bears went to the Super Bowl, we drove down to Soldiers Field. It was about 50 degrees and rainy, and Favre took the Packers, and I believe they won 26-7. to And my wife actually got a phone call from her sister in Arizona and said, you're not going to believe what's happening. I think Favre is going to retire. He was crying after the game. I think he pondered it, but mm-hmm. he ended up playing one more year, I believe. Okay, so uh, let's unpack the last couple here. To the one you mentioned, yeah, that was at the pinnacle of will he, won't he retire at the end of every yeah. season when we went through that drama seemingly for a three, four-year period. And as he was leaving the field, th- th- there was, you know, all the media was around him. The cameras were in his face. I, I forget. I think it was a Sunday night game or a national TV game. And the the, yeah. the, the sideline reporter said, Brett, are you going to come back? Are you? And he said, he said something real vague, which is what he was apt to do at the time. The cameras were on him as he's walking off to the tunnel. And, and you know, that was the narrative if that was the last game that Favre ever plays and so on and so forth then that led to another offseason of will he or won't he thanks for the call that Halloween night game by the way to go back a call that was October 31st 1994 remember that they were wearing the throwback jerseys Edgar Bennett had a big game and 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 like uh, the caller said they retired a Dick Butkus's jersey uh, it was it Gail Sayers as well? At halftime, driving rain, weather was miserable, and the Packers, 33-6 to was the final score. Completely ruined. The weather was horrible. Completely ruined it for the fans there in Chicago. Uh, Rita in Burlington, that was your memory, your memorable game, right, Rita? Absolutely. October. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I was going to night school, and our professor let us leave early so we could watch the game. <laughs> Okay, it's funny you bring that up, Rita. Here's what I was doing that night. It was a Monday night, October 31st. Me, my mom, and my dad, because I was about to enter high school, we had, it was like orientation, open house, or or, or it was for the next school year. And so we were... Uh, we, we were visiting the high school to kind of learn the ropes and meet the teachers and walk around and, and all that stuff. And all my dad could do was, you know, check the score. And at that time, it was hard to do. You didn't have smartphones. You didn't know right. what the score was. So as we're walking through the halls on a Monday night uh, of the high school, we're talking to other parents and whatnot. Did you get a score? What's the score? Run out to the car, check the score. So, yeah, that was... It was awesome. It was awesome. And that that was when the, thanks for the call, Rita, that's when the Packers were back on the ascent. It was the early Holmgren era, still a couple years before they would win the Super Bowl. And that was one of those real, real memorable games for me. Now, similarly, similarly, um, I think back of 2015, Thanksgiving Instead of Halloween, Thanksgiving night, 2015, wet, rainy, miserable, when Brett Favre had his number retired at Lambeau. And what did the Bears do? They ruined Favre retirement night by upsetting Green Bay at Lambeau. So there's some symmetry there of what happened October 31st, 1994 at Soldier Field in miserable weather. 
with a major halftime ceremony and what happened at Lambeau Field Thanksgiving 2015. Miserable weather at Lambeau and uh, a major halftime ceremony. Got a couple more good ones to get to. We'll do that on the other side. Two-minute break. We're back. Stick around. Scott in for Jeff on WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Real quickly, Todd, Lake Geneva, what say you? What's your memorable Packers-Bears moment? All right. Well, before I uh, tell you about my uh, most me- my most memorable game, I just want to give a shout-out to my mom. I lost my mom a couple months ago, and we would always chat it up before every Bear-Packer mm. game. And um, it hurts not talking to her today, tonight before the game, but I feel like this is my way of having a little chat with her. Um, and, and by the way, my mom's first cousin – is Jerry Vinici, who was the uh, Bears GM during the Dicka run, what? and his brother Jack Vinici worked under Lombardi. Worked with Lombardi, who was responsible for drafting Horning, Star, and m- many other players. But my most memorable game was 1989. I had to Google a year while I was on hold. The Don Mikowski instant replay game. This is <laughs> long before instant replay. I was in the end zone with my dad. Uh, touchdown to Sharp, game winner, crowd goes crazy, flag on the field, long delay. They Well, uh, flag on the field, they called Mikowski mm-hmm. uh, for uh, stepping over the line of scrimmage on the throw. Then there was a delay, this, like I said, long before injury. Well, well, no, but I, I, think, I think, Todd, I think that that was reviewed. I think it was reviewed. It th- was reviewed there was some it- level of instant replay then. Then it went away completely, and now it's back as we know it. And I think that's what sticks in the craw of so many Bears fans is that even after the review, the play stood. He wasn't over the line of scrimmage, right? If I remember right, they called him for crossing the line, flag on the field. They reviewed it and reversed it, and that was the case because I remember celebrating mm-hmm. twice. Yeah. Right, I right. remember the celebration I, over the touchdown pass, and then you know the groans with the flag, then a long delay, and mm-hmm. then they reviewed it and came out and said touchdown. Upon and, further review, <laughs> yes, upon further review, and yeah. that's what they kept caught saying for years. Upon yep. further review, and if you watch it, thanks for the call, Todd. I got to let you go. I appreciate uh, that memory. And if you watch it, even now, he was so clearly over the line. How did they not call it? A couple other good ones. Jack, in Elkhorn, you've been patient, and you've got a popular one. Go ahead, Jack. Hi, Scott. Yeah, Hi. I got two of them. First of all, Chester Marco, but that was uh, my favorite one was when Charles Martin slam-dunked Jim McMahon and, 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 and I got a penalty against him, but he was out for the rest of the season. Just, yep, that was nice. Charles Martin, Charles Martin he, really, he, he looked like he was WWF or something. was body slam. That was 1986, Jack. And one of the, I was looking it up, just reading some details about it. When he, Yeah, he pretty much body slammed Jim McMahon well after the play was over. And it turned out that um, that was the first ever multi-game suspension for an on-field incident, because uh, Martin was suspended a couple of games, it was the first multi-game suspension for an on-field incident in modern NFL history, and nothing like that would happen again until 2006, so 20 years well, uh, later. Else. Yeah, that's, that's, that's remarkable. And that but, is a popular one, and one that really sticks in the Crawford Bears and that, fans. And that was at Soldier Field on top of it. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, uh, was it? Yeah, it was. 
Yep. Yeah, that was Soldier Field, yeah. Thanks for the call, Jack. That is, yeah, that was very much a body slam. Uh, Les, what's yours, Les, Hi. in Milwaukee? Hi, bud. Thanks for taking my call. My most memorable was the Halloween game. The Bears played the Packers, I believe it was Monday night. Mm-hmm. I forget the year. But 19, it was 1994. Great. Somebody had mentioned that earlier. Yeah, 94. Yeah, it was that. I remember it because I had the flu that night. <laughs> and my mom was so kind. She put the game on for me. I watched the entire game. I saw the touchdown from far to, I believe it was Robert Brooks. But it was that's when I knew I was a Packer fan. I was sold in. I'm, I, and I've been that way for life. Thanks for the call, Les. I appreciate it. Now, now some people, and he mentions, yes, the Halloween 94 game in the, in the quagmire, if you will. Remember, the field was just a, a mess. But the Robert Brooks play, and some people confuse this, the Robert Brooks 99-yard touchdown, that was in 1995, also on Monday night. So a Monday nighter in 95, that's when Favre hit Robert Brooks, was that the right sideline, for a 99-yard touchdown pass. That's why people can sometimes confuse it to happening on the same night. But, um, yeah, the weather wouldn't have been real conducive to a 99-yard touchdown pass then. Uh, real quickly, Wally in Kenosha. Yeah, this is one that I mentioned earlier. Hi, Wally. Hi. Hi. Hey. Yeah, you were mentioning how the Packers ruined the Bears' halftime ceremony with <laughs> stairs and uh, Ditka. Mm. Well, Butkus, Butkus. one time when, when Butkus, I'm sorry, when they were honoring um, Brett Favre and mm. Bart Starr was there oh, and yeah. Aaron Rodgers was there, mm-hmm. and the best quarterback on the field that night was Jay Cutler. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I know, yeah uh, they Packer ruined fans it. Don't like. The, yeah, that, that was just that. Uh, four years ago, uh, Thanksgiving Thursday night, Thanksgiving of 2015. Yeah, they ruined it that for sure. Uh, that night for sure. One more quickly on the phones, Fred West Side. Which one do you want to get on the list, Freddie? Well, this was on um, a New Year's Eve, uh, and I don't. I it, there was talk it was uh, Brett Favre's last game, uh, and I don't know if if that was the last last game he played in Chicago, but. Uh, I remember the temperature was uh, in the 50s. It was just a beautiful evening for New Year's Eve, and it was my wife's and I. It was our very first Packer game because our son-in-law was from Chicago, and he invited us down for it and then took us out to a, a real Italian restaurant in Little Italy. What a night, and to listen to them... The Bears fans have to complain because they were losing with about five. They just couldn't stand the man, and we loved him and still do. <laughs> and, and, Freddie, you got one heck of a meal afterward, too, when it was all said and done, I bet. Oh, it, it was. What year was that? I, I can't remember. Yeah, the that. it would have been. I'd have to look back. I, I, you know, well, because that was when the. I don't know. If, I don't think that was. Well, maybe it was Farb's last a game at Soldier Field, or maybe that was the one where he was still playing the games, Will I, Won't I. So that would have had to have been 06, maybe, 05, 06. That sounds right. That, so, yeah, but, but it was his last game. I, I know. That's why I'm calling, because it was his last game in Soldier Field. Okay. Uh, well, right. well, 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 Fred, it, 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 his last game in a Packers jersey. Remember, he did go back in a Vikings jersey, but we, oh, try, oh, not, we try not to remember that, Frederick. Okay. What shocks me, and we've had great calls, great memories for the last half hour or so. Only one person, a texter, Tino, from South Milwaukee, mentioned 
maybe the most important of all the games that they have played in many of our lifetimes. How about the 2010 NFC Championship game? When the Packers went to Soldier Field, B.J. Raji, the pick, the interception. First time they had met in the playoffs since 1941, only the second time ever. 2010. How did that one not make the list for many of you? 2010 NFC Championship game. Um, all great memories. No right or wrong answer. Favre's five touchdowns on a broken ankle in 1995. Remember that? What about last year, week one? The comeback last year. What about the Randall Cobb catch 2013, last week of the year? It was basically a division championship game, wide open with under a minute to go. No wrong answers, all good answers, and I appreciate everybody who weighed in with that. When we come back, before I get out of here, I have for you a lottery-winning couple that apparently did not win enough money, and they turned to a life of crime because of it. I have perhaps one of the more polite stalkers of a celebrity and oh by the way don't spit because mouthwash can hinder the benefits of exercise it's all coming up next a thursday edition of great scott i guarantee you this while i'm in for jeff wagner the next several days we will always every day make time for great scott If you ever want to pass the time, just Google lottery winners trouble because it seems like there is a curse to people who win the lottery more times than not. And I've got a new example. When a Michigan couple won $500,000, that's half a million folks, from a lottery scratch off a couple of years ago, they said they wanted to turn their life around. They did, but you might stay in the wrong direction. The couple this week were charged in a string of burglaries over the weekend. Police said they're suspected of breaking into several houses in Bay County, Michigan, over the last couple of months, often during the day while the homeowners were at work. Hmm. One of the winners told the Michigan Lottery in 2016 when they won the lottery that the day she won, she was also, quote, served with an eviction notice. She and her boyfriend had been living paycheck to paycheck. At the time, she said, we both work really hard. It's been tough to support our family. We recently lost a car. She said that she and her husband, not boyfriend, sorry, planned to buy a house and a car with new money. Things are looking up, save for their two daughters' education. Instead, fast forward three years later, both of them were charged with home invasion and possession of burglary tools. They were arrested after allegedly breaking into a home north of Detroit. After the arrest, they searched the couple's car and home, found items believed to be reported missing from recent robberies. Just before the couple was caught, they had purchased crowbars and rubber gloves. Hmm. No legal representation yet. They're both being held in jail. I guess you can say they burned through $500,000 rather quickly. Right, Scott! Staying with the... Legal issues, the criminal legal issues. This may be the most polite criminal I've ever heard. Well, maybe. Police say a man who is stalking Taylor Swift, so much so that he broke into her beachfront mansion in Rhode Island, took off his shoes before he entered because he wanted to be polite. They found the 26-year-old inside Taylor Swift's home just after 5 o'clock last week. Police Chief 
says the man wasn't wearing shoes. They said, sir, why aren't you? Well, I think they called him sir. Why aren't you wearing shoes? He said he was always taught to take his shoes off when entering someone's home to be polite. Apparently that's where the politeness ends, however, as he's been charged with breaking and entering and willful trespassing. The police chief said he's had to deal with several suspicious people at Taylor Swift's home, but this is the first time he remembers someone making it inside, and when they did, they had their shoes off. No one was home. Taylor Swift was not home at the time, so that is good news. And more good news, he did not traipse any mud or dirt onto her newly clean carpets. And for those workout buffs out there, maybe you're going to hit the gym later today, or if you do so in the morning, some advice out of England. Don't use mouthwash on days when you work out. Yes, it sounds odd at first, but a team of researchers from the University of Plymouth (laughs) say that antibacterial mouthwash can seriously hinder the blood pressure-lowering benefits of exercise. According to researchers, certain types of mouth bacteria use that nitrate to produce nitrite, a molecule that promotes enhanced production of nitric oxide in the body. So when that nitrite in saliva is swallowed, what happens? Well, of course, it's going to get absorbed back into the bloodstream, turns back into nitric oxide, which widens blood vessels and lowers blood pressure. In summation, the oral bacteria found in the mouth helps create a cycle of nitric oxide production that extends the cardiovascular benefits of exercise, ultimately resulting in post-exercise hypotension and lower blood pressure. So remember, when you hit the gym tomorrow or later today, what do you do? You wipe down the equipment before and after, and you make sure that whatever you do, you do not use mouthwash beforehand. That is a Thursday Wagner Show edition of... When we come back, we'll see what John and Melissa have on tap. They're getting us ready for Packers football as well. A preview of Wisconsin's afternoon news is right around the corner.